Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Welcome back. Our guest today is Colin Duff. Uh, Colin comes to us all the way from London in the UK, but after having a brief conversation with Colin, meeting, meeting him for the first time, I detect he doesn't come from London originally. Uh, he's from the north uh, in Scotland, um, so he's got an amazing lilt. Uh, welcome, Colin. Oh, delighted to be here, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. So Colin's here today to talk to us about the top five tips for successful innovation. But before we get to that, let me let me give you a little background on Colin. He's the CEO of Mosaic Innovation, a consultancy that helps leading enterprises such as HP, Marriott and BT to crack their toughest growth challenges, build capability and transform their culture. From vodka to Viagra, can't wait to hear about that, and prisons, he's led dozens of innovation projects across a wide range of sectors and geographies. He's also trained and coached hundreds of growth practitioners and is a regular speaker and commentator on all things innovation. Really excited to have you with us, Colin. Let's get going. Tip number one for successful innovation. What do you got? Sure. Well, I think it's worth just reflecting when we talk about innovation, really, it's one of those fields that's widely misunderstood and it's considered by many almost this mysterious art. And there's loads of pseudoscience and myths and frankly BS around it, hence the 70 to 90 percent failure rate. So I think my tips are really grounded in trying to take it from, as I say, this mysterious art to, to, to science. And tip number one for me, whenever we get an innovation brief, I'm always keen to think about are there different angles to the problem? Are there ways to reframe it? And you can do this via a series of thinking habits. So if I give you a really famous example, um, there's a, a slow elevator and a building manager who keeps getting complaints from his tenants. And they say, look, if you don't fix this, we're going to leave. What do you do? And what most people would do is they jump straight into, well, it's slow. I guess we should speed it up. So we get a new elevator, we change the motor, we upgrade the algorithm. And crucially, all of those things would work. But there are other ways of thinking about that problem. So, for example, it might be that it's mainly just at the start of the day and the end of the day. So you could characterize that maybe as a peak demand issue. And maybe you could encourage people to use the stairs or get different start times for businesses. But then if you think about it again, maybe it could be um, the issue is not actually the, the time it takes. The issue is the boredom. So maybe you could distract your users. And if you know this story, what they actually did in that instance was they put up some mirrors, recognising the insight that we're all huge narcissists and love to look at ourselves. So they actually found complaints went away almost immediately. And the cost of installing a mirror was a fraction of putting in a new elevator. And I think it's a great analogy for what happens when people are trying to innovate is they'll jump to the first solution that comes to mind and just overlook so many others. So just unpacking what do I mean by some of these thinking habits or, or frames you can look through. I think one of the big ones is often to avoid a narrow frame. And this happens a lot in innovation. So we were working with a big hospitality brand and they were trying to decide what to do about room service. So room service to you or I, the, the meals you get in the room, we always feel we've been ripped off, but actually the big hotels hate doing it because it's so operationally difficult. It leads to lots of complaints. And they were trying to decide, 
do we keep it or do we um, outsource it to some of these new companies like Deliveroo and Uber Eats? And there was this incendiary war going on in this organisation and they brought us in to give them some advice. And it becomes so polarised that we actually said, well, you framed it as option A or B, but there are so many other ways to do this. We could partner with Michelin star chefs, we could bring in food trucks, we could um, install these, um, which actually did this chain, almost kitchen counters on each floor where you could prepare light meals. It was apartment styles. So just when we're framing problems, I think that would be tip number one is what are all of the different ways and angles of looking at these that are often so overlooked? Another tip as well would be to everyone focuses on averages. How can you look to what's happening maybe at the extremes or drill down into the data a bit more to solve those kind of challenges? I wonder, is this ever happened to either of you, you've jumped in to solve a problem and it isn't as you expected. I started giggling when you mentioned room service. Uh, Rail and I were both working in Malaysia the week before last and uh, I had a a podcast interview in the afternoon. I had a bit of spare time. I whizzed downstairs to the cafe and I ordered a club sandwich. Uh, Now, everything in Malaysia happens slowly. And I waited and I waited and I waited. I was getting agitated and I thought, if I don't get back to the room soon, I'm going to miss the start of the interview. Finally, the food arrived on a plate. And I said to the guy, thank you so much. Um, Here's the money. I have to go. And I started walking out of the cafe and he said, oh, sir, are you going back to your room? I said, yes, I am. He said, oh, you can't take that plate of food with you. I go, what? Um, I'll have to put that on a tray and have room service bring it to your room. And I'm thinking, what? So that's exactly what they did. They took the plate of food from it. I wasn't allowed to walk 50 metres, you know, across to the lift lobby, catch the lift to my room and go, no. A guy had to come five or ten minutes later, stony cold sandwich by this time and lukewarm chips. Uh, And I'm thinking, like, what? You know, so I think sometimes, you know, I heartily agree with your, you know, your lift analogy we got to we got to think about how we're doing this, and and uh, is this the the you know there's a solution, but are there other solutions? What what cost would it have been to the hotel for me to walk across the lobby, catch the lift back to my room? You know, um, the, the the lovely smell of greasy wafting chips through the <laughs> through the lobby, big yeah. deal. Anyway, um, so yeah, I yeah, have a classic style of mindset, isn't it? We are the restaurant, we're not the kitchen, and it's not our job. And that's where great in this instance, it's more customer experience than innovation. But that's True. it's the yeah. blurred edges that you, you you get you get the gold. Um, well, that, that same hotel we were in, we were down at the bar, had a drink, and said, "Oh, we better go up to the dinner, which was our formal gala." And so we took our drinks with us. No one stopped us because of moving around the hotel with our drinks. When we got back to the bar at about 11 o'clock, the guy was really upset with us because he had to account for the glasses in his bar and we had taken them to another part of the hotel. Okay, so. Anyway, we're we're veering off to on the customer experience. So moving off on that. So hit us up, Colin, tip number two. So probably, I don't want to rate all of my tips, but the biggest one I can give you is that great insight leads to great innovation. And I'm not talking here about traditional market research. If you're doing focus groups and interviews in those research settings, they tend to just tell you things you already know. 
And I think innovation insight for me is something very different, both from a mindset perspective and from a methodological one. So probably the method is more easy to explain. I'm a big fan of getting out and observing things. So you can learn a lot in the zoo, but you're going to learn 10x more in the wild. And a lot of people say, well, do you really need it? We've got surveys, we've got all these online things. I think it's really interesting that Microsoft is the second biggest employer of anthropologists and ethnographers after the US government. And the kind of things these people are doing, similar to what we do regularly, we got a brief years ago from Honda to look at generators. So, you know, those things that give you power when you're camping or you're out and about or at um, fairgrounds, etc. And they'd only ever done traditional research in the focus group setting. And they were convinced they needed an app. It was at that time everyone wanted an app. And we went out and observed some consumers using these generators. And the first lady I went with, she was going to a fairground. She operated a candy floss stand. And she was trying to wheel this um, huge generator across the grass. And being in London, it had been raining, obviously, and it was stuck. And I said, this is really interesting. The wheels on it are really small and terrible. And we quickly looked and every single generator in the market at that stage had very similar small wheels. So the big innovation was, frankly, bigger wheels and actually evolved into some motorised wheels. And I can give you dozens and dozens of examples of the breakthrough insight totally unlocking a category. Another one I, I sticks in my memory as well was we were doing a project for a um, canned fish um, producer. And again, they'd started off, we always have a hunch, and they said, look, we probably want some new flavours here to boost sales. And we said, let us do some insight. And I went to this lady's house and said, can you make me some lunch? Let's have the canned fish. So she makes the lunch, all goes fine, nothing particularly insightful. But then after the lunch, she had these really elaborate long nails, and she keeps kind of scratching them and scrubbing them. And she says, I just really hate that smell of fish. <laughs> and actually, the big in, the big insight for these was we, we drained the fish that so was tuna so that it didn't leave any of the residue. And that boosted sales in that category 27% amongst the leader. Wow. So going out and seeing people in the real environment is just absolutely critical. And it's also taking much more of a kind of explorer mindset and embracing the weird and wonderful rather than what most people in research do. They kind of this academic mindset. And if it doesn't fit with the model, then they, they discard it. So there's a really fun story from Pampers, which is the nappies or diapers, depending on where you're listening from. And they entered China, Procter & Gamble. They tried every trick in the book and it wouldn't move the needle. So sales promotions, celebrity endorsement, huge marketing campaigns, and they just could not shift it. And then someone doing a more innovation insight approach spoke to a couple and the lady said, um, oh, since we started using Pampers, we're having a lot more sex. Now, the instinct there is to say, OK, well, leave it out. We're in a, you know, we're talking about work here. But what do you think the interesting insight behind that is? So try and interrogate it. We've used this new nappy and we're now having a lot more sex. What do you, what do you guys think is going on? Can <laughs> I give in? more. <laughs> I would so, have said we were sleeping more, but yeah. Yeah, so it, it's the baby was sleeping more. And they zoomed in on this insight and actually found with Pampers Premium Nappy that babies fell asleep. I think it was like 20% or X minutes quicker 
Now, armed with that insight, they've done a bit of research and repositioned. Sales skyrocketed, and probably any listener of young children or babies will say they would happily pay double to get 20 minutes a day. And these are the kind of insights you get when you go out in the real world and you put on that explorer mindset. And just because this is the biggest tip, I wanted just to give you one more, which is when big companies are innovating, they tend to coalesce around the same target market. So if you're doing a product like laundry detergent, everyone's fixated on families and particularly females because they're the head of the household. And there are so many instances where we have overlooked segments. So if I give you an example, Frey, which is a US laundry detergent, they targeted the 17% of households that are male only. And when you think, what does a male laundry detergent look like? Well, probably something like a big bottle of oil, frankly, right? It was black, it was oak and musk, the marketing was very different, and it was a huge breakthrough success. And sometimes I tell people these kind of stories and they say, oh, well, maybe laundry overlooked it, but it can't be that common. I've observed this in the tea market, in the banking market, in almost every sector, mature sector, the big companies are all going after that same target. So just by changing your frame, a bit like the previous tip, you can really get to wonderful new places. Well, I mean, one of the things that strikes me is that everyone talks about innovation in the light of the tech booms and the tech companies. But I'm a big fan of innovation in traditional industries, in disruptive innovation. Yes. You know? Uh, because there's so much scope, as you said, just changing the laundry to 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 the overlooked segment, and it's a traditional brand and a, and a static brand by and large. Well, really, it's really interesting. When I ever ask people what is innovation, the two most frequent answers I get are technology or creativity or some blend. But when I give you the example of two of the biggest unicorns of recent years, Uber had zero technology when it started. It was via SMS. And similarly, Airbnb's website was fairly dismal. It was really poor. And both of those were built around business model and moreover customer experience. So I think you're absolutely right. In some ways, that when breakthrough technology comes along, it's much easier than for big established enterprises have got to innovate in mature commodified categories. I couldn't agree more. Very, very interesting. I love those examples. So let's move on now. Give us some more gold. Uh, tip number three. So my biggest bugbear is, and I think it's great that people have a lot of passion for innovation, so everyone's jumping into brainstorms, and they're actually getting better and better at the techniques in terms of lateral thinking, creativity. Some a bit wacky and wonderful, but I cannot believe how many are still doing blue sky. We'll show up in a room, we'll just generate ideas about anything and everywhere, and just hope for the best. And honestly, 95% of the time, those ideas go absolutely nowhere. So my biggest tip is all brainstorm activity should be focused. What do I mean focused? Well, you should probably be thinking, who is your target? Whether that is a persona, so it's kind of demographic and attitudinal information, or whether it is what's called a job to be done. So we're thinking about specific context or situation. But moreover than that, we should also be thinking about where are those opportunities to innovate specifically that comes from the insight I was previously talking about. 
So you mentioned in an introduction Viagra, so I can't not give you a story from that. So how do you innovate in Viagra? And this is a few years ago over in Russia for Pfizer. And the problem in Russia is the market was flooded with cheap counterfeit that was readily being sold. So we thought, well, obviously one opportunity is how do you combat counterfeits? And the legal system in Russia, which I won't go into detail, wasn't, wasn't the answer. So one answer was we're looking at, okay, lots of ideas around, for example, we put just beer maps that crossbows and skulls talking about all the deaths from these things and a, a whole series of ideas there. Another one was about this big insight or opportunity area about impulse. So lots of men don't think they need ED medication. Oh, it's not for me. They have a few drinks and think, I've met a new partner or I'm going home. I wish I had some ED medication. So in that one, you can probably come up with your own ideas straight away. We had vending machines. We had drug delivery. We had a camouflaged pill holder um, in the shape, actually originally in the shape of a, a bullet holder, but that one didn't pass um, Pfizer's team. My point is, if I give you these specific spaces to ID in, the ideation is very easy. If I just give you a blank canvas, you tend to just go all over the place. So, yeah, having those really targeted in terms of target and opportunity themes is really important. Fantastic. And 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 we see it all the time as professional speakers. We see, you know, that, yes, give us your top three ideas and stick them on yellow sticky notes. And that just goes all over the shop. So So going on from the better brainstorming, what is tip number four? So what do you do after the brainstorm? Now, the true answer is most people will select usually the best idea because they try and pick one. And then they'll do what I call lots of analysis and stay in thought land. So let's get the spreadsheet out and build a big elaborate model. Let's go around the houses and speak to lots of stakeholders. And then maybe let's progress the idea or not. The most important thing in innovation early stage process, you need to make your ideas real. So it's about translating them from the kind of post-it note or PowerPoint format into something that's still quick and dirty, low fidelity, but that can give you richer learning. So that can be, in the digital world, quite obvious, I guess. You could make simple things like landing pages, clickable prototypes. You can make things like an explainer video. So this is like a little one to two minute advert that gives you an overview. And there's lots of famous examples, actually. So Dropbox, actually, firstly, before it was any coding or any software, the guy just filmed himself on his PC, dragging and dropping files with a voiceover and said, I'm simply dragging this to a folder and it'll be secured, storely, stored securely on the cloud. And he uploaded that to some tech forums. And there were tens of thousands of people within a few weeks that were saying, I must have this product, where do I get it? <laughs> so you can do these really quick and simple validations. If you're in the service world, it might be storyboards, which are like comic strips. And historically, especially if you're in small business, you might have thought this kind of thing was expensive. But these days, when you've got platforms like Upwork in the US or Fiverr.com in the UK, you can access talent, and especially overseas talent in developing nations, so cheaply. We created our last explainer video for like two and a half thousand dollars, which, you know, and it looked like a professionally shot advert, it had lots of motion graphic on it. 
We're able to show it to lots of stakeholders, customers, get loads of great feedback. So making your idea real is critical. And it extends to the um, physical products as well. So we were doing a really cool project in the shipping industry, and it was a, a smart rope. So in a nutshell, we were putting a sensor inside a rope to detect if it was going to snap. Because when ropes and shipping snap, they, they cause snapbacks and they actually kill a lot of people. Um, and it means the ropes have to be retired early. And they're really expensive, so you can save a lot of money. And we got this little bit of plastic, and it just looked like almost a tampon. And we were able to take that to people and say, so this is the prototype of the sensor. They, they assumed that lots of sensors were in it. What do you guys think? And some of the insights are just things you can't imagine. So people are saying, well, hold on, but if that goes in the winch, is it not going to snap? It's made of plastic, so it needs to be made of steel. And then people are saying, no, what transmission technology does it use? Because it needs to be explosive tested if it's going on here and it's electronic. And we say, oh, well, it's Bluetooth. And they say, Bluetooth on a ship full of steel, it won't transmit the distances. Or is this going on the, the short end of the rope at the winch or the long end? And just a lot of things that you just cannot imagine through Thoughtland. So really critical, make those ideas real. So it's almost like spreading the learning or spreading the the wisdom, isn't it? Or, or gathering the wisdom from, from a spread. Yeah. Okay, um, bring us home. Give us tip number five. So I think my final tip follows on from that, which two parts. To it. One is place lots of small bets and related to that is to use stage appropriate economics. So you've just come out of your brainstorm. And what I'd say is rather than try and pick that one winning idea, I'd say just prioritise those that you think are highest potential. And usually if you're talking about innovation, given the high uncertainty, the only way to find out which ideas will work and which won't is through rapid real-world experimentation. You just can't over-analysis and paper and thoughtland won't get you all the way there. And it's never been easier. So maybe if I give you an example of um, we're working with a big tech company who wanted to sell print subscriptions to elderly customers, if a, a strange one. So they had to go in store because these people weren't online. And we had a whole series of ideas and hypotheses. How does this thing work? What we actually did is we got one of the retail partners and said, look, give us a corner of your store. And we're just going to stand in polo shirts. We're going to brand the polo shirts, put some posters up and just try lots of stuff. So one of the ones we tried that was quite funny was we thought print's quite boring. What if we offered them a fun, irreverent incentive so you can get a free takeout dinner? So a voucher for Uber Eats or Fedora, or depending on what country you're in. And the really cool insight there within about two hours is we found that these old people who were confused by print subscription were doubly confused by online takeout. So we were able to discard that idea in like two hours a lot of the team, everyone in hindsight said, oh, of course we knew that wouldn't work. But lots of the team, that was their favourite idea. And then we tried half a dozen more within those two-week periods. And then, of course, we tested them more robustly through quantitative insight and longitudinal testing. But that kind of an entrepreneurial mindset, and there's so many examples. Um, there's a really famous one from a, a dessert company called Goo. And the founder, James Averdyke, he got some product design in it. I, I wouldn't encourage this because it's maybe illegal, 
but he went to a big supermarket and took some existing desserts off and just put his on and just head around the corner just to see how many people pulled them off the shelf. And that gave him <laughs> validation. And it's, it's the mindset of how do we shrink the learning cycle? If you're a startup and you've got limited money, you need to know in two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. If you're a big company, you're often waiting six months to get that same learning. How do you reduce it? And then linked to that, I would say so many companies, I think it's 82%, are still approaching innovation in the same way as regular operations. So they're doing things like building elaborate financial models early in the process that are full of dozens and dozens of uncertainties. And it's a complete fantasy plan because guess what? To get your innovation passed, you'll look at the hurdle rate and say, we need a 20 million plus opportunity with this ROI in two years and this margin. And guess what? Your your financial plan will show that's what you'll hit. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. And it never turns out that way. So what I'd say is try and build, um, yeah, maybe look at the size of the prize, but then just actually build up, looking at the unit economics, because that's something through experimentation you can get very quickly. And then there's often different ways to evolve your business model, whether it's partnering, whether it's um, doing other um, different routes to market, like direct versus indirect, et cetera, where you can optimize later. So don't waste time on sophisticated financial modeling. It's, it's never helpful. It's interesting, some of the examples you've given there. I had an interesting experience this afternoon. I'm looking around to renew current insurance at the minute. And I'm over the age of 50. So I went to an over 50s website uh, thinking I might get a discount. And the font on the website was way, way bigger than any other website I visited earlier in the, in the uh, my exploration. And so let's say a normal website m- might be 11 or 12 font. I swear this website was in 14 or 16 font. And I'm guessing that their theory is, and maybe that they've tested and proven it, that over 50s, of course, wear glasses and they're solving the problem, making it easier for you to read uh, a little bit. Yeah, no, and working with lots of um, designers, Lindsay, as well, I find they have a penchant for small font because aesthetically yeah. it always looks better, but then it, it sacrifices usability. So this is, yeah, an example where you have to trade off and say, no, we want, we want legibility over um, aesthetics. Yeah, certainly catering to their market, I think. Well, look, um, very interesting topic, Colin, and you've given us a wealth of great tips and ideas. Sadly, we are out of time. Should our listeners want to get in touch with you and find out more about how you might be able to help them become more innovative in their business, what's the best way for them to contact you? Sure. So our website is mosaic-innovation.com and there's a whole range of toolkits there on some of the topics I've talked about, like problem reframing, innovation insight that are all free to download thank you very much colin this is rail bricker from perth western australia signing off with my co-host lindsay adams from brisbane australia thanking colin duff from london via scotland adrian scotland thank you for being our guest today and see you on the next episode